when that blows up, there's no more risk appetite. There's no more interest. There's no more checks from the U.S. government where people are, you know, trying to moonbag everything. There's no catalyst on the horizon. If you're interested in learning about the Bitcoin and ETH volatility markets, there's nobody better to speak to than Marty, aka Thinking Full. Now, you know that I'm a former derivatives guy. And so in this episode, we really got to deep dive into what's going on in the volatility markets in crypto and why volatility is really trending down. We also talk about different strategies that Marty is using to make money in this space as well as a list of educational resources to learn more. We talk a lot about market dynamics. We talk a lot about being a market maker in the space, and we talk a lot about the outlook for Q3, Q4, and Q1 next year. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Marty's a cool dude, and definitely give him a follow on Twitter at Thinkingful. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by a dear friend, Marty. You probably know him as at Thinking Vol on Twitter. And we're going to be talking all things options and crypto vol markets. How are you today, Marty? I'm good, good. And yourself? You know, I'm pretty good. I was just saying I've taken a leaf out of your book, which is I woke up, I sold some vol and then went to the gym. So you've definitely inspired me with your, your Twitter feed. For the people that don't know you, Marty, could you talk a little bit about who you are and how you got into crypto? Sure. My name's Marty. I talk in third person on Twitter, but not in in real life. And right, yeah, it's a little weird, right? Only on Twitter, but not in real life and not on podcast stuff. Essentially, we run a options short vol book. We've been doing that since FTX collapsed, so that would be November, basically. Before that, we were top 10 market maker on the FTX products, Delta One products on the, on the US side, right? So spot and a little bit of margin. But uh, that was an interesting time, right? We can get into that FTX and that all correlates into the vol talk a little bit later. But I'm at Thinking Vol at Twitter. It's pretty much every day I tweet memes and I shit post about vol going lower. And I feel like I'm in like this euphoria because it's just been going down and to the right since November FTX crash and the Chappelle update in ETH. And with no real catalyst on the horizon, I'm not sure why we would see a spike in vol outside of Black Swan event or, you know, some news that that everybody wasn't expecting, which I feel like has already passed with XRP and BlackRock and and all of these institutions and ETFs starting to come in. And since then, it's we were at like a 45 handle and now we're at a 35 handle. So there's my little it's, intro. It's been a crazy journey. So you run a market making firm slash fund. And, and right now your, your kind of primary focus is selling volatility across Bitcoin and ETH. Is that fair to say as a summary? Yeah. Yeah, right. We we trade a coin margin contract. So essentially, we're stacking coins. You know, we still believe in there will be crypto upside. But right now, when things are sideways, markets are sideways, vols down and to the right, you can only market make Delta One stuff so much, right? Like it's, it's so much more profitable and a little bit easier to sell vol when it's down only. You have to be 
lockdown only vol, right? You have to be a little careful and for sure hedged when it comes to this because you could turn into that guy that does the optionsellers.com, the YouTube video calling everybody family. You could turn into that guy, you know, overnight for sure. So indeed. And so you're trading these co- like this coin margin strategy. So accumulating more Bitcoin and ETH. Is it fair to say that your longer term view is bullish crypto? Um, I got into this. I miss, I guess we can go back, right? I got into crypto when Bitcoin was like $100. And my first 10x is when it went from 100 to 1000. And then, you know, I thought I was a genius. And then I wrote it all the way down to my entry basically uh that was like my first cycle then the second cycle i was trading directionally no options at this point um just just holding spot trying to lever up trying to to make more usd and then derivate came in 2017 or 18 something something like this the dates are so mixed up i think like 2010 is like last year right Derivit came in and we started to trade options and learn about options, but it wasn't like institutional at all, right? It was more directional plays. It was more, oh, how can we buy outright calls and puts? How can we buy straddles? How can we buy strangles? How can we buy spreads? It never was on the selling side. Only more recently, we came into the selling side because even with the Delta One stuff we were doing, we were using options as hedging, right? But we were never selling them in, in bulk. And now this has been a total pivot that we're just slanging vol in bulk, and it's been a ride to. It's been a nice wave to ride down, but I don't. I don't know how much longer we can. You know, we can ride it down, right? I have a bet with my CFA buddy that's been going on since January, I guess, that if vol devolve Bitcoin devolve from Deribit hits in the twenties, then essentially have to quit trading crypto vol until it gets above 29.99 back back into the 30s. I think that's a, a wise thing. And I, as a reminder, I'm an equity derivatives guy by background. So did that for like 10 years. And it's interesting to see this, this downtrend in both Bitcoin and ETH falls. So you participated in Deribit very much as a, as a buyer, either from a hedging perspective or even a speculative long or short perspective. How have you seen volumes change over the past few years on Deribit? Has it got better? Has it got worse? How do you think about liquidity? For sure, it's gotten better, right? The spreads are getting tighter. There's more market makers. There's more players. Even in this down down only, right? Down, down only vol, you can still go to Paradigm and get off any size, right? I was talking with the Paradigm guys this week and, and last week. I was on their show last week, and they were saying that they have to go out to these TradFi guys and and basically say that there is a liquid market, there is a liquid crypto vol market, because these people don't think that this exists even, you know, even today. But there is a for sure a liquid market, you can get off any size at any time. It's just maybe when you try to exit, right? <laughs> you know, if you're in the right, and if you're in profit, then if you're trying to exit, maybe maybe the spreads get a little wider or something like this. But for sure, from the beginning, the crypto vol space there has grown and more smart players have left the TradFi scene to come into the crypto vol scene. I'm not sure if it's flows or, you know, it's a, a young market or they think that there's money to be made. It could be all of the above, right? I mean, you're a ex-TradFi boomer coming into crypto, so maybe you could shine some light on that too. Yeah, for sure. There's There's definitely been an increase in interest. And I think those institutional players are part of the reason why Vol has been trending downwards because it's just been 
it's been a low liquidity environment for sport and for perps. And so in that kind of context, what, what you've really had is no kind of upside for catalyst, right? The, the market's been trending in a fairly choppy way and then mean reverting. So those institutional players have definitely been there to sell spikes in vol. And I think they've been dampening vol to some extent. I guess I'll flip that back to you. Why, why is vol so low post FTX? Shouldn't it be higher? from the perspective of someone who's who's looking at this market thinking it's more risky now. Yeah, it's an interesting take, right? I was talking to, I don't know, for weeks now, we've been talking to different, on different pods and talking to different people and Telegram chats and, you know, every, everybody has their own kind of idea. But essentially, crypto is a follower of USD liquidity. So when lending is super easy to borrow billions of dollars when everybody's risk on when everybody's there's this risk appetite for, from everybody from everybody down from institutional to retail it's fun right everything's going up only vol is in this i don't know 70 or 80 90 range something like this something super crazy to for tradfi people to hear and then when that blows up there's no more risk appetite. There's no more interest. There's no more checks from the U.S. government where people are, you know, trying to moonbag everything. There's no catalyst on the horizon. I mean, there's there's so many like I don't. I, it's just a, if I was to put it in like one one sentence that there's no risk appetite. Nobody wants to come play in the sandbox. They rather go trade the shiny new AI token or coin. Fuck sock right. New, uh, Nvidia, AMD, whatever, right? Next is this superconductor thing. That's going to be the next like little hype, right? And if you go look at vols from FTX, Bitcoin spiked like I think like over over 110, 120, and ETH was a little higher than that. And that was like a black swan event, right? So if we get a, I don't know, Binance goes down tomorrow, of course we're going to have a super vol spike, but. That's not the vol spike that people want, right? <laughs> they want the price to go up and they want vol to come back in an organic way. Everybody's like, oh, you're going to get blown out selling vol. Well, where's the catalyst besides some um, black swan right now, right? We already had XRP news. We already had the SEC XRP. We already had the BlackRock. Like if, if the ETFs are going to be approved or, you know, people would already be pricing that in and you're starting to see these institutional players nibble like this long-term Vega play where essentially they're selling short dated garbage to fund this long-term Vega play. And that's kind of what we're doing now too. And that's probably the right play, right? If you start nibbling March and June of next year, and right now we're at a, in the thirties, 30 handles. Okay. Maybe we mean revert back into the 50, 60, 70, 80 handle range. And you know, you'll make a, fuck ton of money off that right and for the listeners just to clarify when you say when you're throwing these numbers out like the 110s the 50s the 60s marty's talking about implied fall there might be some newbie option listeners so just wanted to clarify that you're talking about implied vol, which is fairly easy to track on places like Deribit and other kind of data sources i want to just pick your brain on that strategy a little bit so players are seeing that this paradigm there's no real, and sorry to use the word paradigm, but we're in an environment where it makes sense to sell vol. So selling Vega, which is is the risk the risk letter given to, to the sensitivity of vol to the underlying price. So they're selling this Vega in the short term and they're buying slightly longer dated out till March. Is that, is that pretty much what you're, you're seeing? 
Oh, well, you started, like, once the ETF news came out, you started to see, like, oh, let's pick up December Q3, Q4 options. And and then, essentially, that fell off, right? Like, everything picked up when this ETF XRP news came off, and then there was just a ball crush, essentially, right after, right? Now we're seeing people are picking up March and June. Essentially, you want to sell short-dated garbage to fund the cheapest long-dated Vega play, which is just just the just a bet that IV rises in the future. So if that's your view that IV rises in the future, you want to get the cheapest option possible to be able to do that, right? And I don't know. You see these, of course, you see these crazy moon moon plays or doomsday plays. These are like my favorite ones to sell. Like oh, Bitcoin 10k puts, 15k puts. You even had like, do you know who GSR is on the Twitter? Of course. Yeah. So G- GSR, like, even he doesn't understand options, right? But essentially, he G- posted GSR no, or GCR? No, GCR. Sorry, not GSR. GSR is the market making firm. GCR. He doesn't understand options at all, right? And a couple months ago, he was talking about De- December 15K puts and the probability. And essentially, he had no idea what he was talking about. And like, those are my favorite <laughs> ones to play. But those like when somebody posts like that, like and then somebody follows, right? Because influenza had posted on Twitter, like, oh, buy this specific or maybe it's not buy this specific, right? But when they post something and they're talking about a specific option, retail goes out and tries to buy that option, right? So then I just sold as many as I could. And I don't even know if he had picked up any because I didn't see any flows that that you know deemed were large enough for for his size maybe he was just trying to make an assumption or something like that right yeah look at this since the beginning of since we started talking we were like 36 handle and now we're 35.43 in bitcoin devol it's like insane the amount of like the speed right i don't think i've ever seen it happen this fast where it's just continually down to the right and i think you're right it's going to continue i can't see I'm I'm a fundamentals guy first and then technicals later. And I'm, I've been following everything with GBTC, with the BlackRock application, with regards to everything going on with the SEC. And all of those combined, you're going to see like maybe some Darth Maul candles up and down, but then vol normalizing. And I, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to, to sell some vol on those spikes because this market has been mean reverting for a time. <laughs> That leads me to a question, which is with regards to delta hedging and and kind of gamma hedging from dealers, so people on the other side of the trades, how important is that towards spot and futures price? Because I see a spectrum of views here. There's one polarity, which is dealer flows don't really matter and crypto trades off largely spot driven and futures and, and perps volume. And there's the other side that says, well, actually, sport and, and futures volume is is dying. And so when dealers have this more recently quite a lot of negative gamma on the books, it basically means we are going to be pinned around 30K, which is what we've seen for the past few weeks. So on that spectrum, where do you sit, Marty? How important is dealer gamma hedging when it comes to fixing or, or dictating where Bitcoin spot price is? I still think that the option space in crypto is new, right? Go look at notional volume of options in traditional markets and it totally outweighs, you know, shares traded. We're not there with crypto yet, right? Perps and spot trade more volume than options. But I think that it's starting to take play, right? 
if you look at something like gamma bands or, or you know d- dealers positioning when it gets to these walls it, it becomes more like a support and a resistance more than fucking meme lines on the chart right and it's not always a hundred percent winner right but i don't know let, let's say there's a wall at 30k of a, of a bunch of positions and we get towards 30k then everybody has to reposition and and we should bounce back down from 30k but if this walls can always be climbed right so if 30k is clean broken then you have everybody chasing you know you could get a super violent move i'm not just using 30k as a number right i haven't looked this morning but you could you could get a super violent move a super gamma squeeze from 30k to i don't know 35, 33, 34, whatever you want to say, like really fast, right? Like within the hour when everybody's trying to cover, especially in this super muted vol regime, there's this ETH player from nobody knows. Well, people know who he is, right? But nobody says who he is, right? I I don't know who he is or she is, or if it's a people speculate, it's a minor or whatever. Nobody knows, but there's this large ETH player that's essentially been right for like a year and a half, right? He's he's never lost. And he started selling some weird calendars in, in June and May that, that I wasn't understanding that just didn't really make any sense. He, he was doing G- June and September, but then he rolled that and he just keeps rolling these positions every quarter, basically. And he had to, he's been right for like a year and a half, right? And when the XRP news came out, this is just like an example of of like how fast things can change, right? He was super short, and when the news came out, he, there was a little spike. I don't know from forty five to fifty or something like this, or forty to forty five. I'm not sure exactly what day it was on, and he had to cover, and he was just covering like a motherfucker, right? And mm-hmm. he lost, I don't know, a, a few million bucks, right? But what's a few million when you've been winning for a year and a half? Oh, you lost one time. Yeah, they've been and collecting. Like, and- Three and five hundred k every time they put these calendar spreads on, and I've yeah. been doing like eighteen months, like you said. Yeah, but then and then look, if he would have held for one more day, he he would have been in profit, and if he would have held for the till today, he would have been in way more profit, right? It, it was like it was just an example of like how how spooked somebody a large player can get when nobody knows, right? When everybody's doing this, when everybody's short fall. And it's just down and to the right and everybody's hammering, hammering, hammering. I mean, one day it's going to blow up, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to get this huge mean revert. But today isn't that day. You know, we're, we're all just waiting for this day. And who wants to be buying vol since the Chappelle update or since FTX? Like, essentially, you've just been crushed out every time unless there was a huge underlying spot move. You you've paid Marty Theta, right? You've been paying Theta every day. I even had a retail buddy that was trying to put on some directional trades and he didn't, obviously didn't know what he was doing, right? And I think on Darebit or something and the his tab didn't have his, his P&L or whatever, the little on, on screen didn't have like the Theta tab open, right? You had to add the Theta tab. And I was like, oh, add the Theta tab and, and send me a screenshot of what, of what you're paying for this. He's paying like three grand a day on like a fifty thousand dollar position, right? Like it's crazy. I was like, whoa, dude, you're gonna get washed out in you know, ten days, you know, like in a week you're gonna get washed out, basically. And he had no idea, right? I was like, e- either you close out now or you sell some something else to to collect. 
And we're, we're at a very interesting time in the crypto vol space with vol down to the right, retail now starting, trying to learn, wanting to learn. And these bigger influencers on crypto now starting to talk about options. I'm not sure if that's good or if that's bad. I don't know yeah, if you're going I, to that. For sure. I think, well, we saw elements of that, right? The proliferation of places like Ribbon Finance, more recently Sega, and all these kind of systematic option selling vaults. So when retail starts selling vaults on a systematic basis, you probably are quite vulnerable to a short squeeze on the way up. And I think that's the way that we are potentially trending. The challenge for somebody like myself is I've actually been paying multi theta. So one of my like larger positions was 30k BTC calls, September expiry. And the challenge with that position is it, you can't really make any money delta hedging it either because the market just trends around 30k and you, it doesn't really go down either. So if I'm like selling some delta against it, I'm, I'm basically losing theta, paying funding on my on my delta as well, which just wasn't wasn't optimal. So. You'll be pleased to know, Marty, that I've been been paying you money. You you touched upon looking at kind of dealer flow. You touched upon looking at some of the theta that's being paid on these options. More generally, what I would branch is looking at data in the option space. So where do you get your data from, Marty? If you're looking for just outright retail, like I don't know anything on day one, right? And you have no idea like what, what fall handles are or anything is like that, you can look at Velo data. They're in pu- public beta right now, so it's it's open for everybody. I'm sure we can put it in the show notes or whatever. If you're looking for Telegram channels, there's everything from Greeks Live Block Trade Marketplace to Paradigm Marketplace. We pull all of the Deribit data and OKX and Bybit. Right, those are a little smaller venues than than Deribit. OKX and Bybit are still players, but they're just smaller. So we pull all of the data. We scan all of the data, but Sometimes in these Telegram chats, it's super interesting to see like, oh, the XRP news comes in, everybody's trying to cover, right? It's like a live mm-hmm. feed of of all of their trades. And Paradigm is the biggest player. That, I don't know. They do like one weekend, they did like 4 billion notional or something like this, right? Uh, a bigger player in the space. And we can put all this in the show notes. But if you're just like a retail trying to figure out like, oh, what am I looking at? Deribit metrics, Velo data. And these Telegram chats, just to kind of get a understanding of of what's going on, right? It's a little different when we pull the data, when we make all these charts ourselves in our notebook or whatever, than like expecting retail to go out and do that on day one, right? They just want to look at like a <laughs> trading view type, right? There's even Volmex, Volmex, Bviv, and Eviv on Telegram. If you're or not Telegram on Trading View, if you're on Trading View, and they're coming out with an interesting product that's going to be vol perps right bviv and eviv perps so you're going to be able to trade vol without any you know directional bias one thing that you'll be excited about marty and as you know we're building pair protocol is we're looking at the feasibility of being able to be let's say long bviv and short eth or something like that so pair trading a vol index against some kind of spot asset as well all in one click which is an end state we'd love to get to. And I think Volmex are doing some very interesting stuff in that space. I met them in Paris. So definitely recommend anyone to check out the BVIV and EVIV indices. Is it fair to say they're like the VIX for what the what the VIX is to the S&P? BVIV and EVIV are, are like the VIX for Bitcoin and ETH? Essentially, yeah. Right, right now, I think they're in testnet, right? But 
when they when they come public or you know mainnet or whatever mainnet launch yeah it's going to be a very interesting product and if you guys can tie in a one-click pair trade that would be that would be nice for sure i'm not sure how much i'm going to use it personally but sometimes when it's time to put on that trade i'm in for sure we we don't really click any more buttons right we're not we're not like directional traders we're not we're not doing any of that, right? We're quoting on book or we're quoting to RFQ and, and it's all automated now. I kind of miss the days of, of full on button clicking, even scalping. Like when WorldCoin came out, I spent an hour just clicking buttons on OKX's <laughs> user face just for fun, dude. It was so fun. Probably took like right. a couple hundred trades over, over a couple hours. And yeah, that was just like, yeah, WorldCoin juice. That was fun. It was just down, 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 down. I think one thing that retail traders find hard to sometimes grasp is this idea that a market maker like yourself is is very algorithmic or very systematic in, in the way that they're trading, right? So you set your limit orders, contribute liquidity to an order book of some kind, or or take a an OTC quote via RFQ and quote based on what's what you're asked to do or what your book says. Whereas if you're in the mindset of being on Bybit or OKX and clicking buttons, it's sometimes hard for those kind of users to visualize that. And so I'm really glad that you touched upon that point that there's a completely different way of trading as a market maker, as opposed to the guy on the other side who's trying to take a speculative position and be right. Um, And often they are wrong, and that's why people make money in crypto. I had one more question, Marty, about data. So one piece of data, which is really often misunderstood, is Max Payne. I commented under something that Adam Cochran said, just completely a bit like GCR, misunderstanding exactly what that meant. What's your view on Max Payne? Is it useful at all? Are people just completely misunderstanding that point when it comes to an options expiry? I think it's just like a selling point, right? Like OPEX... Unless it's like, you know, the JPM caller trade or, or somebody big, some player like this rolling these positions or maybe this, this ETH guy, right? He's not even close to JPM caller trade size, right? That I'm not going to say that it doesn't matter, but it's like, oh, Max Payne is 29K. Like, sure, you know, but like that doesn't affect how, how I trade or, or what I look at or I think it's just like a selling point to retail and something for them to catch on to. I, I don't think that it's a, a big player. I don't know. What, what do you think? I, I don't think it is at all. I think it's, again, the influencers love to talk about something and it's got a great name, this max pain point. But just because there's a minimal amount of options expiring at a particular strike, it's, it really has to be seen in the context of everything that else is going on in the crypto market at that time. That's not to negate the fact that dealer hedging when it comes to an option expiry is important. And and we certainly see that at the kind of ATM expiries, especially the the more important ones like the monthly or the quarterly option expiries. But it's it's so misunderstood as a concept, which probably leads me to a question. There's people listening here, Marty, that know diddly squat or very little about options. They might know what a call option is, what a put option is. For that type of person, what are some good resources to learn and become a bit like Marty? Sure, sure. I, I guess back on on the Max Payne, I would just say like, if you were to sum it up, right? Like, fear sells, right? Like, fear gets engagement. Fear, like, oh, Max Payne twenty nine k. We can put this in bold now on on X dot com, right? Like, it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not like yeah, it's not something we look at when it comes into resources of learning. I want to say that all of the information is free on the internet, right? 
And that's really easy to say, right? But it's, well, where do you start? If if you're day one, then I would look, I'm going to do some, some Marty shills right now. If you're day one, I have a pinned tweet that has like 10 books. Some of them aren't even related to options at all. It's like a story, reminiscence of a stock operator, right? It's a story, but it's always relatable. I love that book. Yeah, I love that. It's a classic. The the Market Wizards series, which is like stories of fund managers. That's that's an interesting read too, maybe to kind of find out what a what kind of trader you want to be. Maybe you want to trade trade corn and cows, right? Go trade commodities. Maybe you want to trade crypto, maybe you want to trade equities, maybe you want to trade FX. Then then it goes into simple Python, then it goes into all the way to like full you know, master's level education, quant books, especially like the John Hole book. That's I think that's like a CFA level book or whatever. That, that's CFA, they made the French traders read that when they were about 12 years old. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, that that's a good start for anybody who's not just options trading, but trading in general, right? Because people are always trying to take these directional bets. People don't understand basically how, how money and or markets work in general. So I guess that that's a good start. Right now, I'm personally working with Premia to do the Premia Academy. There's some basic stuff, some more, you know, theoretical kind of kind of reading kind of oh, what is it called? What is it put? But we're going to get into the Marty Masterclass and, and what I'm looking at and what what to look for kind of. And then if you're just just have the internet, right? And you don't want to read any of those and you don't want to read a book and you don't want to take a course. Fidelity and, and TD Ameritrade have all of this information for free. I think for TD Ameritrade, you need an account, but the Fidelity stuff and the Investopedia stuff, I think is free, right? You can get super complex into multi-leg options. You can start at level one. I, I would probably start with the Marty pin tweet. That's probably a good start for for anybody new who's listening for sure. Absolutely. And that's at thinking vol is your, is your handle there. So it's your pin tweet. Just check out any of those books there. And I think that's a really valid point, which is you've got to understand the history and psychology of trading before you get into the options markets, because the option markets are quite literally a derivative of, of financial markets and understanding how financial markets work and why we need derivative markets in the first place will give you a, a better grounding before you dive into John Hull, which is is the Bible when it comes to to people in the option space. Shout out to the guys at Premier as well. We met VX Cozy in ETH Paris, cool dude, cool team, and I love what they're they're doing. And they're trying to bring more of the volume which is currently done OTC and via sexes like Deribit on chain. Question we haven't seen any of these option dexes, whether it's whether it's Premier, whether it's DOPEX or Lyra really take off yet what needs to happen for people to trade more options on chain i always say that nobody has built the perfect dex options exchange right N- nobody's built that right and i've, I've been in the states for a bit i've been a, a twitter micro celebrity right and people always hit me up <laughs> oh use use my product or can, can we work with you or could you write some stuff for us or you know whatever it is right and I, I personally chose the premium team because of the people who actually work there behind the scenes and the people on their team. I, I know everybody has a great team, but this is the best team. 
in my opinion. Nobody's built the perfect decks, right? And I'm not sure if you want to build Darabit on chain, right? With this full order book at first, right? Maybe that's everybody's approach. And they started, oh, let's start easy. Let's start with AMM. Let's start with, you know, whatever, right? I know somebody, Synquote is doing like RFQ on chain, right? Whatever, right? Do, do whatever you guys want, right? Essentially for volumes to pick up, you need volatility, number one, right? And you need this like retail flow is is where most of these guys make a lot of money, right? When, when volatility is down, even Paradigm doesn't do as much volume, right? But when there's high high volume volatility, then volumes pick up. If I was to build the perfect one for me, it would be like Darabit, Paradigm, all on chain, right? But I, I don't think that it's possible right now to even build that, right? I don't think that on chain, it's even feasible to build that. Just talking with the Premia team, like there's, there is still limitations, right? V3 of Premia is coming out t- towards Q3, Q4. I'm not sure exactly the right the right time to say. And there will be some new features, some um, some cool new features that everybody would like and everybody will use from retail to market makers. But then again, it's still just V3.1, let's say, right? V3 is supposed to be able to build out everything that I would want, but it's not possible today. That That's what I'm told. So maybe yeah, that's kind of a situation everybody's stuck in, like they can't build it or else it would have been built. No, for sure. And it's it's already proved a challenge in the perp space. So DYDX have done a great job in creating an order book for perps, but obviously it's taken tens, if not hundreds of millions in funding and, and engineering talent to build that. And then you've and got, it's not like, even off chain or on chain, right? The no, there's so many off chain components. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, the teams like in San Francisco or like, uh, okay, good luck. DYDX Trading Limited is your counterparty. Dude, they did send me a nice merge pack though. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah, yeah I mean, like for, for all of that, right? Team has to be offshore. Entities have to be offshore. You have to limit US users and other restricted areas. Every Everything has to be built on chain, which it isn't possible yet. I think that's why even DYDX wants to move to Cosmos and build their own chain. But then you get into this, somebody said it said it right on our last basis, right? That they build this island and everybody has to swim to their island, to their chain, right? And everybody has to bridge onto their chain. Well, who wants to do that, right? Everybody wants to trade in native ETH or Arbitrum or mainnet or like there's so many other nets and OP and all this, like I don't even touch half of that stuff. Just give me Arbitrum and give me ETH. And like, if you can't build it on that, then I'm sorry for you. I, as a big DYDX user, do sympathize with that view. And I think with recent events with multi-chain and other, other kind of bridge exploits, even if they have a native bridge that they build themselves, which is trusted, you'll have a lot of reluctance and resistance to people just wanting to bridge over to an app chain to do that. So Agree, it's a challenge. People like Synquo have an interesting RFQ model. I think it replicates more how the TradFi space works and how you go about RFQ in the OTC space. So that's interesting. And then it's been interesting to me to see centralized players like Bybit and OKX start to offer options there as well, albeit with much wider spreads and prices than you can get from from Deribit. But they have they have captured uh, a captive audience as well. So 
probably see a bit more volume being done there over time. I'm conscious of your time, Marty, because I know you've got to get to the beach and probably sell some more vol or whatever else you do. Go look at vol right now. I almost almost had to cut you off. Go look at ETH vols right now. 35.5 to 34.17. Since we started talking, it's the Marty luck. It's the Marty luck. I'm standing up in my office pacing, jumping around. How how fitting to record a podcast with you and and that be happening. I'd like to end up like we end every other crypto narratives podcast with a quick fire round of questions. You can go into as much depth or otherwise as you like if if that's good with you. Sure, fire away. So the first one, if you could hold only one of these two assets for the next ten years, would it be Bitcoin or ETH? Mm-hmm. Ten years, twenty thirty three, probably Bitcoin in cold storage, not on a centralized exchange. There you go. And any stable coins, would they be in USDT or USDC? I would have to go with USDT because of how much it's used in South America versus USDC and the reasons why it's used in South America, being in South America versus USDC. And their banking partners and everything else, I'd probably go with USDT. Uh, enough. Is it the banking partners are in in Panama or Bahamas or something? Bahamas. A few, a few of them. But yeah, the the main using... player was Dell Tech and some other players. Yeah, no, I think it's Capital Union Bank or something like that. Anyway, with City as a correspondent bank, because the US will always have some kind of nexus back to them. I'm sure. Yeah. Right. And, and the whole thing with stable coins is like, I'm not a fan of holding stables if i need to transfer money like i don't know let's go say i go to like a poker game or something right i i don't bring cash right i'll I'll use stable coins that's cool right i don't have to travel with a bag of cash in brazil that's cool right safe i'm not like a big on-chain maxi right i don't do farming i don't do any any of that sort of stuff I'll trade right on chain, but I won't, I don't know, farm, farm a bunch of tokens and whatever else. I, I know a lot of people have made a lot of money and, you know, kudos to them, but not for me. I'm not, I'm really just a fan of holding fiat actually in, in Brazilian banks right now, we're getting 13 and a half percent in a savings account. So shoot me. There you go. And treasuries yielding like four to five percent as well, which is probably why we're in this global crypto liquidity vacuum or lack of a vacuum. Yeah, like uh, Aave is giving you like 2 or 3%, right? Like on stables, like something so low, like l- lower than a US bank account or a money market account. It just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Especially with the risks involved. I, I would say that if you're a US-based person, that you probably have more regulatory oversight on USDC, right? Like if they blow up the, I don't know, maybe they'll get bailed out, right? If, if Apollo and USDT blows up, at, you know, n- nobody's coming to save them, right? No, not at all. I know there's quite a few big players who are depositing ETH on Aave, borrowing USDC at a relatively cheap borrow rate, and then just putting it into treasuries and maintaining that long ETH collateral exposure. So that's been that's been a bit of a winner for a lot of people, just because yields are so low on both the supply and the borrow side. If you could have dinner with anybody tonight in in Brazil, would it be CZ or Vitalik? I'm sure you guys would get on very well. And what was your best trade ever that you can recall? Ever? Like ever, ever. P&L wise or one that like sticks with me? 
You know, we t- typically, Marty, we do both because uh, it's amazing that <laughs> that people like every guest that I've had, especially every trader that I've had on the show, has had a, a difference between their best P and L trade and then their best ever trade in terms of setup and execution. It's almost like your best P and L trade never comes from your best setups. Yeah, I mean, best P and L has been selling vol since November, right? Like that—that's paid out dollar-wise, right? Like, but I also didn't have a lot of money. So whatever it was, six or seven years ago when I got into the space, right? If I had a billion dollars, maybe maybe it would have been different, right? The one that sticks with me the most is XRP. Seriously, buying that and riding that up when the first hype cycle and oh, we're going, you know, XRP, the standard and the memes and the chats and. Yeah, that was like the one of the most memorable ones for me. Like, it's kind of like this. I was listening to the Alex Weiss pod with KBM and I forget his co-host, but Alex was like, yeah, like when you're on Twitter, just bull posting every day, right? Like your psychology is so fucked and you're just like max long and like, oh, this is going to the moon. Like there's the, in trading, there's no like better feeling than like this pure hopium right when you're smoking the hopium and oh for sure you know i knew about crypto and i knew xrp wasn't going to be the standard and i knew all this stuff but i was smoking the hopium for sure right like everything's just going up that that's like the best feeling in the world and xrp was like one of my biggest bags like back in the day when i didn't have a lot of money and that made me have you know, a substantial amount of money at that time. I just definitely missed those up-only markets for sure, the euphoric up-only markets. And then a final question, what's your worst ever trade or one that you can remember? Worst ever. I, I think everybody kind of got trapped in this, I think P&L wise, is everybody kind of got trapped at this last, everybody got spiked up in, and then everybody was price spiked up and then everybody was trying to like rebuy 30k over and over again i'm not sure exactly mm. what month but that was probably like the worst chop like the worst PL loss it was just kept trying to long 30k and you're like well, i was better off just buying futures or or holding spot or whatever right of course spot bags fluctuate PL like insane i don't know 70k to 16k right of course if you're just holding <laughs> spot in your in your moon bag right in your I have like a in your hundred dollar yeah, bag. <laughs> no, like you know, in like your your Bitcoin safe. I don't know whatever you want to call it. You know, your cold storage stuff, your long term holds. Yeah, like those are probably like the biggest P and L losses. But in terms of like outright trading, was kept trying to get this thirty k bounce and and it had never came. It just actually kept going lower. I think a, a lot of people got washed out in in this thirty k range. Not the more not recent, this recent one. No, the previous one. Yeah. I think I remember where it was just being held up at 29k over and over and everybody's like oh yeah this is the bottom this is the bottom and it ain't this was this was around the time of three arrows capital right yeah yeah I remember there was well now it, now it's come to light but on Binance there was just a one <laughs> one counterparty just holding up that 29k floor and when it went it went in in true style which is what's happened. So with all of that, Marty, we will definitely type up all the show notes with all your kind of alpha that you've dropped here today. And I will drop your handle on there and people should definitely follow you. It's almost too late to get one of the Marty caps, unfortunately, but I look forward to a potential second drop of those as well. We're going to run the store till the first of the month. We're, we're donating all the money to the kids of Rio. 
trying to find like a boots on the ground place that I can actually like work at for, for a weekend or something, not work, volunteer, I guess, instead of like, oh, Red Cross or some bullshit like this, right? Some nonprofit volunteer only kind of place to donate the money to. Right now we're at like 2,500 bucks, right? And minimum wage in Brazil is 200, $220. So, you know, 10, 10 month salary, almost a whole year salary could go a long way. Absolutely. Well, I will end here by saying, Marty, not only are you one of the most profitable MMs when it comes to crypto vol, you're also just an insanely likable bloke. You're very laid back and you give back to the community as well. So with all of that, thank you for joining the Crypto Narratives podcast. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you, Pam. Have a good day. Cheers. Bye. Peace. The Crypto Narratives podcast hosts conversations with thought leaders in the blockchain industry. Nothing in this episode can be constituted as financial advice, nor a solicitation to invest in any of the protocols and tokens mentioned. For more details, please visit the Pair Protocol Discord.